you would drink it if you have like a stick with a bindle on it. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose articles take you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. So a pirate walks into a bar and then he realized at that moment the eye patch was on the wrong eye. Oh, that seems <laughs> painful. Well, he prob- I bet you didn't see that joke coming though. <laughs> the double dad joke we are off with a bang just Rare like form. the pirate who walked into a bar that sounds painful oh man next the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins dana roach uh oko didn't get banned in pioneer i, I don't have a joke theater i'm just genuinely shocked that oko didn't get banned in pioneer give it time dana give yes it time. that's probably true and I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like to give all that data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas? The Decks versus Dana, where I take a look at your deck and tell you whether or not it sucks. I don't think that's quite what we're up to. Matt, could you help clear the air a little bit? What we're really doing, Dana was close, but it's the decks versus the data, like the android from Star Trek. Data. Numbers. That makes more sense. Yes, the data. We've done this in the past, and it's a pretty fun recurring show topic to come up, so we wanted to revisit it, where we take our own personal deck lists and compare and contrast them to the data of the top cards and the high synergy cards that we see as the most popular cards for our commanders on Rec. It's a good way to see whether we agree with what we're seeing on the website and how we actually personally run those commanders, because the differences can be pretty darn interesting. But before we get to that, we have a fun announcement to make. We have a new feature sort of, to the website that is going to help a lot of people out when it comes to those theme pages. So everyone's probably familiar with the theme pages. You've got stuff like plus one counter theme, super friends theme, artifact theme, but now we can also break those themes down into different specific colors. That way, if you are looking at, let's say, an artifact theme, you're not just going to see artifact cards from all of the colors available. You can actually restrict it to just artifacts for a Grixis deck or just artifacts for a mono blue deck, stuff like that. So you can now break down theme pages in those ways that you can just see the colors of the uh, commander that you're actually going to be using. So it's an extra handy step in there to help you out when you're building decks using those theme pages. Yeah, it's it's pretty slick. Um, the theme pages worked really nicely before, but having this this new filtering uh, makes them way more usable. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, a lot of the stuff that we see when it comes to like an artifact theme, we'll keep on mentioning that since it's the page right up in front of me. A lot of blue cards tend to have the artifact synergies. But if you're in a non-blue artifact deck, say you're building Rakdos artifacts or something like that, those blue cards can kind of get in the way. So this is a great way to get those blue cards out of the way so that you can see more particular recommendations to help you out, which is really great. But there's another announcement that you guys have, and that's about Matt showing up on Dana's other show, CMDR Central, where Dana confuses him with Max. Many, many times. It, well, so and that's the edited times. version. The, the <laughs> edited version is me confusing him with Max a bunch of times. That was after we cleaned it up. I got it wrong every time. <laughs> I, I, I never really realized how challenging that would be having a Matt and a Max on simultaneously. But I messed it up 20 times. <laughs> It was really, really entertaining to hear. Matt, I hope they had a great time there and that you were able to establish that CMDR Central is Dana's other (laughs) podcast. Other podcast, yes. Max was a great sport. Um, He got to realize and he, he, he sat back and listened to Dana and I just rant and rave. So it really enforced why we need you, Joey. Otherwise, it turns into Matt and... Dana just ranting about whatever we feel like talking about, and then Max just kind of like, "Yeah, I agree." Uh, but no, it was yes. it was super fun just talk, talk, talking to Max again. I haven't seen him since we were all in uh, Kansas City together. Um, it was a really fun episode. We talked about some pet peeves when it comes to Commander. Not quite data driven. It was more of a an opinion piece, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, thank you very much for doing it, by the way, Matt. We appreciate it. My my third yeah. co-host on that show, Chris, is laid up with a injured foot he had to have surgery on. So we uh, Matt was gracious enough to fill in for him, and, and I appreciated that. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, yeah. you were very it's, welcome. It was it was real fun. It's it's really fun stuff. I also miss Max, and I'm going to try my hardest not to mix up Matt and Max. <laughs> but the longer that I talk about it, the more that I realize that's actually really difficult to try and navigate. So kudos for the ones that you were able to get correct, Dana. <laughs> See, um, I never made that mistake. I don't know what your guys' problem is. <laughs> well, that's because you don't refer to yourself in the third person. Anyway, uh, speaking of guest appearances, the part two of the episode that I did uh, on Ryan Peniff's Commander Ad Populum podcast is also going to be out this week. So listeners should definitely check out that podcast to see part two of the interview that he had with me there if you want to check out things there but we've got our own episode to get to and that is decks versus the data each one of us have picked one of our own uh, commanders one of our own decks sort of as tribute to challenge it against the data that we're seeing on edh rec to see what we have in common with the data and where we've maybe diverted away from the data we're going to be starting off with dana's deck what did you offer the edh rec gods as tribute I offered up Vela the Nightclad. So, who is she? She's pretty old. Not all of us remember who she is. So she was from, I believe, originally one of the, I think it was Plane Chase. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. From, from original Plane Chase set, although I think she's been reprinted in, I think, the Kess deck um, and maybe one other place. Um, she's a six drop, so four blue-black for a human wizard that has Intimidate. Other creatures you control have Intimidate, and whenever Veil of the Nightclad or another creature you control leaves the battlefield, each opponent loses a life. So I think back in the Plane Chase set, she was the head of the ninja deck. That sounds correct to me, and that is often what we see on the data here on EDHREC. We do see a lot of ninja cards that try to take advantage of Vela's creatures leaving the battlefield trigger. But that is not what you have done with your Vela deck. That is not what I had done at all. Um, I built this as a artifact deck, specifically an artifact creature deck, to take advantage of the fact that she gives all your creatures Intimidate, and the way Intimidate works, they can only be blocked by creatures that, by artifact creatures or creatures that share a color with the creature in question. And if your creatures are colorless, then the only thing that can block them is another artifact creature. So it gives them mostly unblockable. Yeah, I love this strategy. It's definitely one of my favorite of your decks. I'm excited to tear into it and see uh, the cards that you've decided to put into the deck and how it contrasts with the cards that we're seeing here. So let's just get right to it. We're going to start by looking at any of the new cards, which are at the top of this commander's EDHREC page. Are there any here that, uh, you know, made the cut into your deck, any of the new stuff, especially from Throne of Eldraine, that wound its way into this Vela Demir Artifacts brew? Actually, three of the six cards, excuse me, three of the five cards on here did. Uh, Arcane Signet just as a mana rock. Uh, Midnight Clock as a mana rock that also has an option to uh, recur my library and draw me seven new cards. And Shambling Suit, which is a kind of a perfect beater for the deck. Its power is equal to the number of artifacts and enchantments I control. So fairly regularly for three mana, it winds up being like, uh, you know, a 10-3 or something when I drop it. That's then unblockable because of Vela. Yeah, that's I, and see, that's what I think is so cool about this is that you are taking advantage of a different ability than most people are taking advantage of on Vela. And I think since Eureka is now the you know go-to for Ninja Tribal, that this artifact uh, theme that you've got probably will be catching on a lot more. But getting a three out of five hit rate on uh, this particular bit here. I don't know that that's going to necessarily be consistent when we look at the rest of these cards, like the high synergy and the top cards for Vela, because a lot of these are still a lot of ninjas, and I know you're not running any of those. So walk us through the other cards that we see on this page. So sure, for the high synergy cards, we have Deep Fathom Skulker, Biden Tefasa, Ugin the Ineffable, and Rite of Replication. Uh, Deep, Feather, Deep Fathom Skulker is a devoid Eldrazi creature, um, but it's six mana. It's more than I want to spend, and I could get the same effect from artifact creatures by running Colorless Eldrazi, but I've got a lot of artifact synergy based in the deck, so I've just chosen to not run any of the Colorless Eldrazi in the deck. Uh, Bind of Thassa, I understand why it's in Vela decks because you're trying to run things, even if they're ninjas, that have evasion of some sort. But I don't have enough bodies generally that attack, and they don't tend to attack in ways that are sporadic enough to like draw me cards in a spread out kind of way. It tends to be kind of an alpha strike, so that wouldn't really do me much good either. Uh, Ugin the Ineffable probably would be pretty solid in the deck. Um, colorless spells cost two less to cast. That alone is probably pretty solid. But one of the kind of rules I've made in the deck is the only Planeswalkers I will run are Tezzerets. <laughs> and, and we can see in your list you do have four Tezzerets, and they nasty. 
Yes. So that's just a, a power level constraint. Ugin would be great. A couple of the Karns would be great in the deck too, but I'm I'm limited to only Tezzerets. Yeah, uh, so you don't have the Deep Fathom, the Bident, which would draw cards because it's a little bit more sporadic. The Ugin, yep. you've got other regular artifact-style cost reducers. The last card in this high-synergy section is Rite of Replication, and this has a very nasty combo with Vela. So the way it works, um, because Vela is a legendary creature, if you have multiple Velas in play, of course, the other ones all die. But off a Kick Rider Replication, where you're making five of them, they will, of course, leave play because of the legendary rule, but they will all see one another. So you'll get the triggers off each one for each one that leaves. So six times five will get 30 damage to the entire table. That's what's this? What's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, rude. Well, and, and I've actually taken like once upon a time I ran this card up until I think probably a month ago. And I've since taken it from the deck just because it winds up being the, like the logical tutor target every single time. If I have a tutor in hand, there's almost no reason to go for any other card when I can just go for one that will probably win the game. But you could just take out the tutor and keep the root card. Well, it's also nice to have the answer. Like if someone's doing something like, man, I need to go get a board wipe or I need to solve this problem. I found I would rather have a, have a tutor to go get an answer to a problem than I would a tutor to go get a game winning card. All right. All right. That's weird. I don't quite understand your logic, but you know what? It's your deck. That's fine. Let's move on to the top cards that we're now seeing on Vela's page. Up first, we've got Silent Blade Oni, which is a big old demon ninja. We already know that you're not playing that. Neither will you be playing Ninja of the Deep Hours or Mistblade Shinobi, which we also see here. But what cards among the top cards are you running in this deck? I'm running two of those top eight, which are Cyclonic Rift and Commander Sphere. Um, the only reason I'm not running Counterspell is... The deck is has so many things it's trying to do. I just didn't have room for a counterspell package, so I'm just running no counters in the deck. Dang, that's bold. But you know what? It's refreshing to see a blue deck that doesn't always rely upon counterspells, so I'm here for it. I am surprised to see, of the top cards that we're seeing here, we've also got Solemn Simulacrum and Swiftfoot Boots, which are you know largely considered staples among the commander format, especially in a deck with this much artifact synergy. I'm surprised that you're not running those. Yeah, I, I ran Swiftfoot Boots and Greaves for a while. I found I just didn't need... Like, I tend to not have pieces that need protecting or the, the haste didn't really matter that much either. Yeah, Vela's real useful in the deck, but she isn't what tends to win the game. And if I'm at a point in the game where I'm able to play her, it's people aren't able to remove her, generally speaking. They would have blown their removal already on something else. So I just found I didn't really miss Swifties or Greaves at all. Um, and Solemn is just a little bit slower than I want. Gotcha. So I'm moving down the page here. We talked about the first eight among the top cards, but then I'm looking at the other cards among this top card section. We see Evacuation, which bounces creatures to their owner's hands. Then we see Shadow Mage Infiltrator, which has Fear, Ink Eyes, Servant of Oni, which is a ninja, Okiba Gang Shinobi, which is a ninja, Hagure, the Still Wind, which is a ninja. We know that you're not running any of these because you've dedicated so hardcore to the artifact theme. I think I might have run out of cards to ask you about in this Vela deck here, Dana. Um, I ran Sire of Stagnation again once upon a time. Same thing as I mentioned before. I just converted entirely to artifact creatures because there's just so much more synergy there. Sire of Stagnation's a great card. If anything, it's maybe underplayed in Commander in general. Um, but I just have chose to not run anything that isn't an artifact creature. Yeah, that is another card there among the top cards. Really cool when your enemies, you know, play lands, they exile cards, and you get to draw a bunch of cards. That is definitely a good one. But the commitment to theme definitely shows because, I mean, of the Dex versus Data episodes that we've done, this is easily one of the least that we've ever seen in common with anyone's EDH rec page. That's kind of tends to be a kind of thing I go for. So yes, that's <laughs> that's not that's not unintentional. Well, and here's the thing. One of the reasons we wanted to talk about this particular deck is that this deck is not choppy. This deck does damage, especially when you get some of those Tezzerets in play. I've been at the receiving end of those abilities, and this artifact theme is very strong, especially when you've got a huge board of artifacts, which I'm used to, and then you play Vela, and then they're all unblockable out of nowhere, and I'm like, oh no, I did not anticipate this. What's wrong with me? Why am I bad at magic? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I like with the deck. It's probably my favorite deck right now, and that's because it can win in a lot of different ways. It can win via Tezzeret damage. It can win via me having a bunch of artifacts in play, and I Alpha Strike with Vela. It can win with the Vela ET, or Exit the Battlefield triggers if I have a sack outlet out. Um, it can win by me animating non-creature artifacts with a couple different ways in the deck, and then swinging through with those that are now unblockable. So... It's a lot of fun because the deck just feels like it wins in different ways every time. 
Awesome. Yeah, so I'm just trying to do some quick math. I think of the 23 cards that we looked over between high synergy top cards and some new cards, you have about 5 out of 23 of the cards that we're seeing here, so your hipster score yeah. is off the charts, Jaina. Very well I'm, done. That's what I'm shooting for. Thank you. But in lieu of a regular challenge, the stats of this episode, what we like to do on Dex versus Data episodes is challenge each other. So, Matt, as I understand it, you took a look at Dana's deck list and you've got some questions. I did have some questions, but then you're also giving me the most difficult person to question because of his always the present commitment to theme. <laughs> There's true. some cards I would love to suggest, but but the, everything I'm sure is going to get met with a, but the theme. So <laughs> uh, one thing that I had to do, because obviously you can't go to Vela's EDH rec page for any suggestions because we've already covered that Dana's playing a quarter of the actual staples for the deck. So what I did was I went to decks for uh, containing Silas Wren as the commander. He's also Demir commander, centers more about artifact synergies. So I did some digging and found a couple cards that I would like to suggest. So the first off, I know you're going to say no to Emery Lurker of the Lock, another new card. Not an artifact creature, though. But if you ever wanted to veer just a hair, get a little recursive engines going, I think Emery would be fantastic in this deck. She absolutely would be. You're correct. Um, but <laughs> since I, I know Dana, I know the theme, Scrap Trawler is something I think would help you recover from board wipes really well. Uh, I know you have Mr. Arcbound Ravager in, Ravager in there. So if you do any nonsense leaving the battlefield, sacrificing everything, getting everything recurred back, Scrap Trawler, I feel like, would be an insane value engine that I, I, I'm curious, actually, why you're not running it already. I think it was in there once upon a time when I was running the... Uh, what's the equipment that brings a creature back from the graveyard when it dies? Uh, Nim Death Mantle. Death Mantle. I think it was in the deck when I had a, a small Nim Death Mantle package, um, and it came out with that just because there wasn't enough stuff to recur that made a huge difference at a lower mana cost in Scrap Trawler. So it, it's rotated in and out of the deck at different times. Um, it's effective, but not necessarily amazing if I don't have a combo package. That's the other thing that's kind of difficult with Dana. I mean, first of all, he'll agree with you that, yes, the cards you suggested yeah. are, in fact, good. And in many of these cases, he's played them. But Dana just updates his deck so often that it's just like, oh, yeah, that was <laughs> right. in there last Wednesday. But, you know, since then, I've updated the deck three times. <laughs> you're very, you're very, three, three games very later. Right. Um, and my final, my final suggestion, it's an artifact, but it's a colored artifact. Uh, Noxious Gear Hulk has always been very, very Ooh. impressive for me. Uh, it's just a nice two for one, get a body on the battlefield, has built-in menace too, so it's even if it's you know hard to block with Vela, it's even more harder to block. And it just has a nice little kill ability when it comes into play. So I'd, I'd give any of those three a quick gander. I'm sure I'm going to get well actually here, but... <laughs> the, having menace on the Gear Hulk... Um, you know, it's it becomes much more blockable with Intimidate because it's a black creature, but the Menace mm -hmm. does offset that. They would have to then have two black creatures to block Gear Hulk, so that kind of, I think that's kind of a wash. Maybe, that's one I will, I'll, I'll take a look at. I, I could see myself running that. You got there, right. Matt. Yep. Awesome you, job. It only, it only <laughs> took three tries. There we go. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going to move on to our next list, and that's going to be Matt's. Oh, it's my turn, huh? Okay, we're going to be taking a look at Matt's Omnath Locus of Rage deck, his angry Omnath list. The angriest jelly bean ever to be seen. That is a P.O.'d Kool-Aid man on that uh, <laughs> card. So Matt, why don't you read Omnath to us and tell us what your, your kind of game plan here is. So Omnath Locus of Rage, three red, red, green, green, total of seven mana for a 5-5 five, five elemental, has landfall, so I bet you can guess what I'm probably doing with the deck. Uh, whenever a land enters the battlefield under my control, put a 5-5 red and green elemental creature token onto the battlefield. Also, whenever Omnath Locus of Rage or another elemental you control dies, Omnath deals three damage target creature or player. So basically with the deck, I'm just trying to ramp and then I do a couple things and then I ramp some more. I'll do a few more things and then I just keep ramping essentially throughout the entire <laughs> game. So here's my question for you. Um, I have a Mina and Dan landfall deck that was once upon a time Omnath. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest struggles I had with the deck was the fact that you need to ramp to get Omnath out, but you also want to ramp after Omnath's out to make elementals. 
and I right. hated it. I hated having to choose between ramping to get the commander out and saving the ramp until the commander was out to to cast it all after he's in play. Right. The deck can be a little dependent on having Omnath in play. That's definitely a weakness of the deck. I've kind of tuned it a little bit over the course of time. So there's a, there's a few other creatures in there that make some pretty big impacts. Uh, stuff like Titania, Priest of Argoth. She does a ton of work uh, when she's kind of the, the backup win condition there. Generates a fair amount of elementals on her own. So it's it's nice that there's a lot of redundancy in the deck. You're always doing the same thing, but it doesn't play out the same way. So yes, you're always ramping, but it doesn't always happen to, to, to play out that way. I've had decks where I dirtled and I got Omnath countered a couple times and I didn't really do much. And then I've had games where I exploded out of the gates and I had five lands on turn two because burgeoning is an amazing card. All right. That all makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> so, how, so how about the new cards here? We have five new cards that you can choose from, two of which are lands. How many of those have found their well on their way into your deck, um, or how many will I guess because you are not the, the person's <laughs> most um, the hastiest deck updater? I, I am not. Uh, Return of the Wild Speaker, I do actually really like. Both of those modes are very relevant. One of my favorite cards, maybe in Commander ever, is Rishkar's Expertise. So Return of the Wild Speaker is kind of a nice substitute, and even if I have a grip full of cards. Being able to just overrun real quick uh, is is kind of an amazing combat trick, even though my creatures usually are, are pretty big already. Fabled Passage, I want to get a copy of, but I really don't spend like 20, spending $20 on a fancy Evolving Wilds. Uh, Escape to the Wilds, I, I probably should consider because one of the weaknesses of the deck is drawing cards. But Escape to the, to the Wilds, we weren't very keen on in our set review. I it's I haven't warmed up to it at all either. Castle Garenbrig I think is a very bad Nykthos basically, and then Beanstalk Giant, meh. It's not exciting. It's just a common. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. I kind of feel the same way about the cards for the most part. The problem, a fabled passage as great as it is, the problem if you encountered this where you want to have as many fetch lands as possible in the deck to get the double landfall triggers, but at some point there isn't room to have that many fetches along with that many lands you can go fetch. Yes, that, that's kind of the problem that I'm in is how many utility lands versus how many fetchable lands do you have in the deck? Uh, if I took something out for Fabled Passage, it might be something along the lines of Flamekin Village or one of those more utility lands that doesn't tie into the landfall. That's kind of where I land. I, I really want to get one, I think, that should be in the deck for sure. 49% of the 55 decks since Throne of Eldraine came out with Omneth have featured Fabled Passage. I think that number should be much, much higher, but obviously... Standard is a thing, modern is a thing, so Fabled Passage is a, a fairly pricey card for what it does, so it makes sense why it's a little bit lower than it, it honestly should be. So let's jump down and look at the high synergy cards now. Um, the first four on the list here are Zendikar's Royal, Rumanap Excavator, Amina and Den Wildborn, and Elemental Bond. And you're running three of those, I believe, all but Zendikar's Royal. Yes, so... A lot of Omnath decks that I've seen kind of tiptoe the lines back and forth between do I want to add some incidental elemental synergy? Do I want to do a lot? Zendikar's Royal is the one that kind of leans to me as one of the more a lot routes. I would rather play some more utility cards to kind of back up what I'm doing with Omnath. But Ramanek Excavator, Mina and Den, and Elemental Bond, definitely I'm running those. Elemental Bond, it's showing up in 73% of decks since the two came in. And that's, even that's a little bit low. That card is insane <laughs> because every time you make a land, if you have like a Horn of Greed in play, you're drawing two cards basically for every land you play, which is nuts. Yeah, and I'll say that, that makes sense too. Um, Zendikar's Royal is a card that you kind of probably want to sack outlet like uh, Azure the Ultra, for example, to just chain off those elementals, whereas the other three cards are just good in almost any configuration of the deck, and mm -hmm. you aren't running the sack outlet, so I see why that's not there, whereas the other ones in this deck just do so much work, that completely makes sense. So after that, we have a couple of enchantments that basically deal damage based on the elementals coming into play. There's Where's Ancient's Tread and Warstorm Surge, and you're only running one of those decks, one of one of those in your deck, Where Ancient's Tread. Is Warstorm Surge not in the list for a reason? 
I'm just not a big fan of it. It's one mana more for Wear Ancient's Tread, and a majority of the creatures that come into play are going to trigger Wear Ancient's Tread. So it, it kind of... Warstorm Surge is just that extra copy that I've never really been blown away with having that extra one of. So it's... I, I can see why people would want to play, be playing both. I only want one because I'd rather lean into kind of more of the utility. I don't want too many of one specific effect outside of ramping. Okay. But but Perilous Forays, I'm, I am definitely running. That card, I remember you challenged the stats uh, a while ago. Well, Perilous Forays, let me just explain this because it's not the most common card. It's three green green for an enchantment. Pay one, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a land card with a basic land type and put it in the play tapped, then shuffle your library. So this with... Uh, Omnath out and then Amulet of Vigor which untaps lands when they come into the battlefield basically you search up anything with a basic land type in your library and put it in the battlefield and then you get a lot of death triggers because when that land enters the battlefield you untap it you pay one mana to sacrifice the elemental that Omnath created getting a death trigger and so on so it's I oopsed into that combo actually and it's it's been terribly impressive ever since well, and after that, a lot of the ones you don't have that are on this list are ones that do care about elementals, Titania or mm-hmm. Living Twister. Um, even Avenger doesn't make Avenger Zenicar doesn't make elementals, but it's for more of a go wide strategy. And you're not running Avenger either. Is, is there a particular reason you're not doing that aside from the fact that you're not really planning to win that way? Um, with Avenger, is just expensive, and the deck already has a pretty high mana curve. The average cost is is fairly high, so Avenger. It never has really impressed me in this deck specifically. Uh, Titania I am running because it's a nice backup to Omnath. Whenever a land dies uh, and goes to the graveyard, I get a 5-3 elemental instead of a 5-5. It's just a nice way to still have that ability because I'm still getting a lot of landfall whether or not Omnath is on the battlefield or not. So having something like Dust Bowl is a wonderful synergy with Titania that I, I like to key in on. And after that, let's look at the top cards here quick that are almost all ramp spells on the top list in EDH Rack. Cultivate, Kadama's Reach, Explosive Vegetation, Sakur Tribe Elder, uh, Nissa's Pilgrimage, Rampant Growth. And you, you're running most of those in this deck, it looks like, aside from probably Steve. Yep, that's the only one that I'm not running. Everything else is in there. Uh, I'm not playing Rampaging Balos. That's another one of those expensive cards that the, the top of the curve is already pretty crowded in the deck, so... Got you can cuts. only have so many six drops in a deck, so that, yeah, right. I, I understand that completely. So, Joey, is there anything you want to challenge here specifically on Matt's list? Yes, I do, in fact. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm probably going to be among the group of listeners who looks at Matt's list and says, wait, you're not running Avenger of Zendikar? You're not running Rampaging Balos? But landfall strategies, those are basically prerequisites. What are you really doing? So, you know, I do think that you should give those another look, but... I don't want to just recommend cards for your deck that are sort of among the popular stuff. If you're going for some hipster cred the way that Dana is, that's perfectly fine by me. Um, I do think that (laughs) some of the cards in your list are a little bit too hipster, especially if you're not trying to sink your teeth into that particular elemental strategy. Something that I see here, for example, is Rakamar, which is a four-mana human shaman with haste that allows you to uh, pay one red mana and tap it to put a three-one red elemental creature token with haste into play. And that can be used as a lightning bolt for Omnath, but if Omnath's not in play, it seems a little lukewarm to me and what I would rather see as a four mana creature is the card Stone Cedar Hierophant and that is a four mana druid that can tap to untap one of your lands and whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control the Stone Cedar untaps herself so this is an amazing way to get a bunch of mana I am going to refuse this because you have challenged the stats on this once already before, so I see through what you're doing. That's exactly the point. I've challenged it before, and you didn't listen, and it's coming back to haunt you. That, that's fine. Rakamar, I, I do agree, is probably one of the weaker cards in the deck. Uh, I want to keep the, the cost low. Like I said, we, there's a, a oodles of six-plus drops, so I do want to keep a lot of the suggestions down to the, 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 the four and under crowd. So, yes... It's fine. 
<laughs> All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to have you swap. Uh, there's one other challenge that I've got here for you. I, there are some cards in here. I'm going to look over your list with a bit of a judgy eye. I'm kind of like, what are you up to? But I also appreciate, <laughs> you know, that you're uh, going for like the big mana that you want to spend. You want to try and devote to Omnath himself in case he ever gets removed because that dude is a huge magnet. So I totally yes. get that. But I, I am surprised to see Xenagos, God of Revels, in your deck uh, because he can power up one of your creatures, uh, you know, double its power and then give it haste so that it can swing in. But that doesn't seem to me to be the most powerful approach for Omnath. So what I'm going to suggest you do instead, particularly because you espoused a love of the card Elemental Bond and you were a little sad that you don't have quite enough card advantage, I think that you would be well served to look at the card Kavu Layer. This is a three mana enchantment from who knows what set, but it's only showing up in 280 decks total on the website, which is criminal. It says whenever a creature with power four or greater comes into play, its controller draws a card. So that will trigger off of Omnath's amazing 5-5 elementals. Yes, Kavu Layer does affect all players, so if someone else plays a big dragon, they'll get to draw a card, but are they going to play as many creatures as you will play lands that grant you 5-5s? I think not. This is basically a supplement to your elemental bond that is going to draw Omnath players tons of cards. I, I, I can't think of anything to disagree about it. That's um, because it's correct. <laughs> well, I, I may be purchasing a copy right now, so I hope you're happy with yourself. Yes. Because I, I wholeheartedly agree. This, uh, and it's from Invasion for all you folks worried about Joey's lack of cards older than him. Uh, right. But yes, I, I do I do really like that suggestion. I've never heard of Kabu Lair, and I'm currently adding one to my cart. Of the three of us, you're the legacy player. You're supposed to be the one with the encyclopedic magic knowledge. Come I, do, on. I, I, don't, I don't play nonsense cards from bad bad sets well this might have been a bad set but the nonsense that this card is up to is splendid so i definitely think it's worth your while if you're playing omnath and that includes you mr max morgan i'm sorry i mean <laughs> matt morgan I, uh, I see what you did there and uh i can appreciate it but yes you, joey the, the last 45 seconds of this podcast you have never been finer <laughs> Let's turn the magnifying glass onto your deck this time. So what do you bring to the table? Yeah, I am bringing my newest deck, and this is Mono Black Sir Conrad the Grim. As a reminder, Sir Conrad the Grim is uncommon, despite the fact that he's got 48 lines of rules text on him. Dear Lord, this guy's complicated, but he's so good. So he is a five mana, five four human knight, and he says whenever another creature dies or a creature card is put into a graveyard from anywhere other than the battlefield, or a creature card leaves your graveyard, Sir Conrad the Grim deals one damage to each opponent. And he also, because he needed extra stuff, he can pay one and a black to have each player put the top card of their library into their graveyard. I really enjoy Mono Black for its big mana capabilities with stuff like Cabal Coffers, so that is exactly what my plan is here with Sir Conrad. By making a lot of mana, I'll be able to mill people for a bunch. He will see creatures go to the graveyard. He will see creatures leave my graveyard. He will deal tons and tons of damage to my opponents and will just ping everyone to death using the lovely magic of death itself. So, Joey, I just have to ask, where does the deck title uh, Sarah Connor come from? It comes from um, this this really old movie called The Terminator. Aha, Sir okay. Connor, Sir Conrad. It's like maybe you've heard it. I don't know. It's really old movie. Okay, I Boomer Dana. I was just Dana. thinking, like, 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 Sarah Connor. I thought maybe the Sarah was your favorite wine or something. But I'm like, well, that's not Thunderbird. I'm not sure what he's doing there. So, okay, that makes more sense. I don't understand that reference. If that was an alcohol <laughs> joke, I don't drink. That's I don't true. know what you said. Uh, that's a good point. You are a teetotaler. But, I, I, but, but I bet that it was funny for people who aren't <laughs> me. So, so name puns aside, let's get into the actual meat of the deck here. So let's go over these new cards. Since Sir Conrad is a pretty new commander himself, what do we think about the new cards in the EDHREC page? Yeah, all these cards are showing up also from Sir Conrad's set, Throne of Eldraine. So there's stuff like Witch's Cottage, uh, Ayara, First of Lochthwain, um, Forever Young is a really interesting one. I am running the majority of the cards that we see on this new card section. So Witch's Cottage is a swamp that can put a creature out of a graveyard back on top of my deck, which is great because then Sir Conrad can mill that creature, so I'd be able to get triggers off of him. Ayara drains life from other players when black creatures enter the battlefield under my control, so that definitely lines up with what the deck wants to do, because you know if I make like tokens, for example, then those tokens can die, triggering Conrad, and Ayara can drain people, which is great. Uh, Forever Young has... 
done so much work in this deck. Like it's, I'm, I'm shocked at how good this card is. So Forever Young, one and a black for a sorcery, put any number of target creature cards from your graveyard on top of your library, and then you draw a card. Uh, there are a couple of other copies of this type of ability that are also in this list. And it's amazing because even if I have like six or seven creatures in my graveyard, Forever Young can rip them all out of the graveyard, put them back on top of my deck. That will be seven damage when I remove seven creatures from my graveyard for Sir Conrad, and it will load me up with excellent draws in the future in addition to drawing me one of those creatures right away, and I can mill things out with Sir Conrad, like Forever Young has been so, so good in this deck. The final cards that we see on the new card section, there's Murderous Rider, which I am running, doesn't seem to be too popular for other Conrad players at the moment, but Murderous Rider can double as a removal spell, which I really like, even though it also counts as a creature when Sir Conrad mills it, which is really cool. The card I'm not running here is Eye Collector. This is one mana, one, one fairy that whenever it deals damage to a player, everyone mills one card. I'm just not particularly impressed by that rate. I don't think that that's very good. So I'm running most of the stuff here, but not that Eye Collector. That's fair. I, I get why you would want to, to leave at least one of those out there. So let's move on to the high synergy cards now. We got some stuff like Mind Crank, Altar of Dementia, Golgari Thug. Are you running any of these high synergy cards that are showing up on the rec page? Of the three you just mentioned, I'm only currently playing Mind Crank, which is amazing because whenever an opponent loses life, they put that many cards from the top of their library into the graveyard. So if I get to deal damage with Conrad, people have to mill, which can then potentially trigger Conrad again. It is a vicious cycle. It's delicious. Um, Golgari Thug, Altar of Dementia. Actually, a lot of the cards that we're seeing in the high synergy section I kind of have a problem with. Um, so Alter Dementia is in and out of the deck at the moment. I do like it because it's a very effective sacrifice outlet, which is great if I want to get a lot of death triggers for Conrad and if I want to mill stuff. But a lot of the self-mill options, Golgari Thug, we also see Stitcher Supplier over here, Undercity Informer, you know, the dredge options like Golgari Thug. I'm not sure that I like them. And the reason is because... Well, first of all, a lot of those self-mill cards are kind of crappy without Conrad in play. Milling myself when Conrad isn't in play just kind of fills the graveyard, but I don't always have too much to do with that. Um, second, none of them strike me as doing more work than necessarily like a mana rock or just sort of a regular creature. Um, but the real important thing is because math. So... Back on our episode about data averages, we saw the average deck contains, you know, approximately 25 creature cards. And obviously there are Spellslinger or Voltron decks that break this average down, uh, but there are also tribal decks with like 40 creatures. So an average is, you know, what I have to base my uh, game plan upon for Conrad. So whenever I mill someone, I have roughly a one-fourth chance of hitting a creature to deal damage to everyone with Conrad's ability. Or notably, if I'm milling myself, my Conrad deck contains 30 creatures. So if I mill myself one card, I have probably just below a one-third chance to mill a creature and deal the damage to opponents. So if I play something like a Stitcher Supplier with Conrad in play, and I mill myself three cards, what are the chances that I get at least one success? You know, I hit one creature among those. And this is where uh, Joe is going to do a little bit of math using hypergeometric calculations, which I'm surprised that I'm able to pronounce, but bear with me just a little bit. <laughs> um, so if... I'm using hypergeometric calculations here. The chances that I get at least one success when I mill myself three cards, that I find at least one creature to go to my graveyard and deal at least one damage to each opponent, there's about a 65% chance of dealing at least one damage, but only about a 20% chance that I'll deal two damage hitting two creatures, and only a 2% chance that I'm going to hit three creatures of the three cards that I mill myself. So Stitcher Supplier is also a creature that can die, which triggers Conrad again. So all told, Stitcher Supplier represents to me the potential to deal approximately three damage to my opponents when it enters, when it mills, when it dies and when it mills again. Um, there's another card here among the high synergy cards, Returned Reveler, which mills every person by three cards when it dies. That's assuredly going to hit one or two creatures. You know, I'm almost definitely going to deal damage to people that way, but it only has like a 65% chance of finding three creatures based on the math of like everyone has approximately 25 creatures in their deck or so. The chance of finding four creatures off of a Returned Reveler mass mill, that's like a 39% chance. The chance of five creatures getting milled with this is like 18%. So Returned Reveler dying with Conrad in play means that about half the time, it'll deal maybe four damage. So I, in my head, I compare all of that to the equity that I'd receive from just playing a regular old Gilded Lotus or a Mana Rock, which gives me a bunch of mana that I can not only spend on Sir Conrad's ability to mill people by himself, which also has the same chance of hitting a creature as other mill options, but I can also use that mana to cast my other spells. So I haven't found too many of these self-mill options to be worthwhile when I could just play mana, which will enable Sir Conrad's strategy and go big black mana uh, versions, mana sinks that way. It just seems more effective to me when I started looking at the math. I could be wrong about that, but that's generally the direction that I've gone when it comes to these self-mill creatures. Also, I'm sorry for ranting so long. <laughs> I was going to say, you spent more time thinking about self-mill cards than I think about 
magic. <laughs> well, I, you know what? When I can do math, you know, not just looking at stats on EDHREC, but doing stats within your own deck, I think that it's really important. So that does disqualify a lot of the self-mill cards that we see in the high synergy section here. Um, I might revisit them again later. At the moment, though, there's only one card that does uh, self-mill that we're seeing here. Oh, sorry, there are only two cards that do self-mill among these high synergy cards that we're seeing. I am playing the card Perpetual Timepiece, which does show up here. That is a self-mill card that can also egg, uh, shuffle my own graveyard back, which is a great way to trigger Conrad and save my graveyard from exile effects if I need to. Um, but then I'm also running Stinkweed Imp, which does have a dredge ability. The reason that I like having at least one dredge card is that it's really fun to use with those Forever Young cards to rip a bunch of creatures out of the graveyard and then put them back on top of my deck and then have a draw a card effect off of the Forever Young spell, which I can then use Stinkweed Imp to dredge five and then mill five immediately. So you get even more of a damage boost there. Plus it's a one, two death touch blocker. It's pretty decent. Um, so, you know, that's pretty good stuff. But aside from that, most of the other self mill options, I'm not playing too many of them. So getting away from the self mill, what else in the synergy cards are you playing? If there is any. Yeah, so some of them do make the cut. Alter the Brood has some pretty good, uh, you know, chances to mill other people out over the course of a long game. I'm fine with that one. Um, but then there's some stuff that just has wacky bonkers effects with Sir Conrad. Morality Shift is a seven mana spell that exchanges your graveyard and library and then shuffles your library. So you get a bunch of creatures leaving your graveyard and a bunch of creatures entering it at the same time. That can deal so much damage, it is so delicious. Um, I also want to call out Dread Summons, which mills everyone and then gives me zombies for every creature that gets milled this way, so that's a great mana sink. I don't mind the, uh, the math on the mill there because I can put so much mana into it and it gives me even more creatures to sacrifice and then trigger Conrad even more. But easily what has become my new favorite card in this deck is the card Tortured Existence. One mana black enchantment that allows me to pay one black mana, discard a creature card, and then return a creature card from my graveyard to my hand. That's so good. You can That's two damage with Conrad by just paying one mana and discarding a creature and getting back a creature and discarding a creature and get back a creature. Like, that is a short clock. It is so delicious. But yeah, it's, I was about to ask, is, is Tortured Existence in there because... With your big mana abilities, seems like that's just the type of card where you just discard a card, get something back, and then discard the card you just got back to the card you just discarded. Yeah, it's so good. Those are some of the best things to do with Conrad, for sure. It isn't quite to the level of combo deck, but when I get enough mana, it certainly feels like it. Well, let's move on then to the top cards. Let's get to some of those meme potatoes types cards that you might normally come across. What are you playing here? Stuff like Plague Crafter, Grey Merchant, Reassembling Skeleton... How about any fleshbag marauder types of effects? Almost all of the cards that we see in the top cards section are appearing in my deck. Plague Crafter, Fleshbag Marauder, Merciless Executioner. These are really great because they are basically removal spells, but they're creatures, which triggers for Conrad in case they get milled. But also whenever I play one of these, that represents probably four damage that I'm dealing when creatures die, which is a great way to get Sir Conrad triggers all over the place. The only time that I don't get triggers on these sacrifice effects is when people sacrifice their commanders, which don't die but go back to the command zone. But hey, that's a win for me, or when people don't have a creature in play at all. But again, that feels like a pretty good situation to be in. Uh, mono black deck, so Grey Merchant of Asphodel is totally in there. Reassembling Skeleton can remove itself from the graveyard, which is also a really great way to get some Conrad triggers going on. Um, you've got other things like Zulaport Cutthroat, which is great for sacrificing a bunch of creatures. Living Death, which, you know, reanimates creatures en masse. Joey's got to play Living Death. I, I can't play a black deck without it, I mean, frankly. Uh, Crypt Ghast and other, you know, mana doubling effects are really excellent. It's not until the bottom four cards that uh, among this top card section that we see cards that I'm not playing at all. Um, so Desecrated Tomb, which creates tokens for you whenever creatures leave your graveyard. Just haven't felt like I needed it. Mausoleum Secrets, which is a bad tutor that I don't like very much, even when I'm milling myself. Uh, Shriek Maw, which is a removal spell, but it's pretty limited compared to the other stuff I think I'm able to do. And then here's one I'm a little embarrassed to say. I'm not playing Sign and Blood or my other favorite, what? Knight's Whisper. What? Yeah, I I'm not I don't I don't like that I'm not playing it. Um because I do like draw, but I want to try and keep the creature count in this deck really high for when I do mill myself with Conrad's ability to try and keep, you know, math on my side and that meant that I had to cut corner somewhere and it ended up being some of the draw spells. That does make sense. I see what you're saying. Oh, I was about to say Dana's about ready to put you in your place, <laughs> cut some of his favorite cards. I mean, I, I would have found something else to cut probably, but I it's one of those situations where you can't run as many things as you want to run in a 100-card slot. You really can't. And here's the other uh, concession, I suppose, is that 
Sir Conrad is a big mana sink, so if I don't have a lot of cards in hand, but I do have a lot of mana, Sir Conrad can push the game to its end just by using a bunch of mana and using his ability many, 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 many times. Um, so having a bunch of cards in hand hasn't felt as urgent as it would in most other decks. I'm not sure that this is a good recommendation for all players out there, but that is so far where I find myself with Sir Conrad. This is my newest deck, though, so I am tuning a little bit here and there. It might be the case that I end up switching the creature count up to make room for some of these draw spells in the future. That makes a lot of sense. So Dana, looking over his list, taking a quick glance, what are some stats you want to challenge? What do you think you should be trying out? Okay, so we will need about 20 minutes here for this. <laughs> um, um, no, this looks pretty tight. Um, most of my suggestions here, Joey, would be kind of homework situation things. Um, the first of which, though, is a card I think you will definitely have good luck with, and that is Petrified Field. It's an old land from Odyssey. Taps for a colorless mana. Sacrifice Petrified Field and return target land card from your graveyard to your hand. You are running three lands in this deck that are kind of backbreaking if you get them out in Nykthos, Cabal Coffers, and Cabal Stronghold. So people are going to, number one, want to remove those when they're in play. And number two, you have quite a bit of self-mill in this deck, so you're going to fairly often wind up with those in your graveyard accidentally. I think the option to rescue those lands when they're either destroyed or accidentally milled is worth finding room for Petrified Field. Man. So I do know this card. It is actually currently in my Lord Windgrace deck. But I'm realizing that since I only have one copy of this land, maybe it shouldn't go into the Landfall deck where I already have access to get lands back from their graveyard in spades. In fact, that's the entire mission of the deck. And maybe it would actually be of more use in this mono black deck. I'm on, I want to keep the number of swamps really high for those Cabal Coffers, but you're absolutely right that when it winds up in the graveyard, I can kind of be a little bit of toast. All right, see, we're already right away, Joey is uh, is listening to me, make him, make him a better player. I, <laughs> see, I, I like seeing that. the error of, the, of his the ways. The error of his ways. Um, I, I, this is more of a question, I guess. Um, you're running a bunch of snow lands in here, but I'm not seeing any of the usual suspects, Dead of Winter or Extra Planar Lens. Is, is that a relic of something you were doing once upon a time and you just have the snow lands in the deck now? Um, this is more of an aspirational choice. I happen to have them from back when I happened to open a bunch of Cold Snap stuff. So okay. I've got old art versions of Snowlands. And it's more of like a, you know, I wish I had an extra planar lens to take advantage of the snow-covered synergy that it, that it provides me. Um, so they're just there in case I get gotcha. one of those expensive mana doubling cards. <laughs> Okay, because and it makes sense because you mentioned wanting to do big black mana things, and you have the that those pieces there for it. So I was wondering if there was a reason lens wasn't in here. Okay, that completely makes sense as well. Um, the last one I was going to to ask kind of does a similar thing to a few cards you already have, um, Grave Purge and Foot Bottom Feast, but it's an enchantment, um, Haunted Crossroads. And for one black mana, you put target creature cards from your graveyard on top of your library. What is this card? So it just gives you one more way. It's not as efficient. You're not doing it all in one fell swoop for three mana, but it lets you repeatedly do it over multiple turns, put those creatures back on top of the library, and then continually do it without having to find a way to get that sorcery or instant back to your hand. Sorry, I'm not listening to you. I'm reading this card. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is so... I'm... I like our picks this week. This is great. Teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love the suggestion. That's amazing to trigger Conrad when it leaves, get it on top, mill again. <gasps> Dana, this is excellent. I mean, oh, are, you, are you really surprised that Dana's coming up with cards that are so obscure? You, you, <laughs> right. <laughs> most people have never heard of them. Richard Garfield didn't even know some of these cards were designed. <laughs> now, the one, the one suggestion I would have about all these cards, Joey, is to not play them against me. Oh, no, no, these are coming right for you. Don't you worry. <laughs> no, that, other than that, the deck looks really good. I, I'm, I'm a fan of Sir Conrad, and I like the build you have. And those were the, the, the main homework-ish cards I had for you. Uh, this was this is really excellent. See, oh, man, this is why it's so... It's so funny. Uh, one of the things that I find, this is just sort of a, a takeaway lesson for the episode. One of the things that I find sometimes, especially among a group of friends, is that you kind of want to surprise other players um, with the ingenious choices that you found or the fun synergies that you're interacting with your own deck. Um, but really, 
running our decks by each other almost always has gleaned really fantastic information, awesome suggestions, and we've improved each other when we share what we're up to rather than trying to surprise each other in-game. And I just think that is one of the best lessons for this particular exercise is, like, actually presenting your deck list to other folks for them to, you know, pick apart to help improve it, which feels really great. And it's always fun to compare the data, you know, the deck that you've got, comparing it against the data that you see on EDHREC to see where you differ and how that can make, not not only will it make your deck more special, but also how it makes it more, you know, powerful sometimes. Dana, your deck had almost nothing to do with the data on EDHREC, but it still packs a really big punch. Well, and, and like, like you were saying a minute ago joy though getting fresh eyes on a deck not only your your own eyes but decks that but but eyes that aren't from the meta you play in is a really really useful thing to do too Mm -hmm. and we have the 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 fortunate um chance to do that here with each other but like if, if you can get out there listeners people to look at your deck who aren't people that are your friends or that aren't people in your meta I would take advantage of, of finding any way you can to do that because fresh eyes makes a really big difference sometimes yeah, I, I'm reminded of a quote from Parks and Rec where uh, one of the characters is asking for feedback and one person looks back at them and says, no, you shouldn't do that. And you know I'm going to be honest with you because I don't like you enough to lie. <laughs> so yes, if you find a stranger and just say, hey, what do you think of this deck? You guys get done playing a game? Ask for that feedback. That's probably one of the most fun things to do afterwards is what cards were people impressed with? What cards are they not really worried about? Um, I know the Command Zone guys, uh, Josh and Jimmy, they talk all the time about, hey, break down a game afterwards. Tell people what worked really well. And uh, you'll, you'll find some really interesting insights if you, if you have those conversations afterwards. Yeah, this is such a fun recurring segment. We look forward to lots of decks versus data in the future. Listeners, we also hope that you engage in this decks versus data idea when you're comparing your deck against the data that you find to make sure that your deck is definitely more yours and to see where you can make it more special and more powerful when you deviate uh, just a little bit from the data. You get some really powerful results, much like we found on this particular episode. Guys, it's so much fun, and I'm so excited to try some of the new tech that you suggested, Dana. Oh, this is really cool. But with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me and if our listeners would like to get in touch with us where can they find you all matt you can find me on the twitters at mathemus55 m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 and dana you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach and you can hear me twice a week where i sometimes confuse max and matt on my other podcast <laughs> cmdr central and i'm joey schultz you can find me at joseph m schultz on twitter And hey, bonus announcement, I've just found out that I will in fact be able to attend the Magic Fest in Portland, which takes place one week from the date that this episode airs, from December 20th to the 22nd. So if you want to get in some games with me against my zany Conrad deck, if you want to chat about EDH Rec, or if you'd like to just torture me with dad jokes, make sure that you find me at the Command Zone next weekend at GP Portland. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This cast is posted every week on EDHREC's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fan fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. I met a tripod um, Pomeranian this weekend, and it was the happiest dog I've ever seen in my life, and I, I spent... Like a Pomeranian? Yeah. I spent... I, I kid you not, when I literally <clears throat> spent half of my holiday party with all my, like, co-workers either hanging out with the dogs or I was playing with a two-year-old because like, well, talk to somebody who has your same vocabulary. 